Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I've been keen to look at the life of Solomon ever, ever since we finished or we're working through the life of David uh, last year. Great series, uh, great man of God. Uh, King David, um, also some highs and lows there. Uh, but King Solomon, uh, who comes after him, is, is probably the second most renowned king of Israel. Like David had all these aspirations for uh, his kingdom and particularly the temple of God, but Solomon was actually the one to see uh, the temple built and to see the extent of, of or the, the, the peak of Israel's prosperity and kingdom. And, uh, and there's so much to learn. And even you, you read through 1 Kings and um, as, as, uh, as the writers, you know, kind of go through and work through all the different kings of Israel, Solomon's given the most time uh, and the most, um, uh, most ink. And as he steps into this new mantle of leadership, as he takes on this kingship, there's so much uh, we have to learn. There's so much I have to learn. I've recently stepped into a, a new mantle of leadership campus pastor here at Allgate. And so I think it's appropriate to, to look at um, a leader in the Bible to learn from his leadership and his life, his highs and lows and what God is doing through him. But I'm not the only leader here. All of us in some way, have a mantle of leadership, whether it's in our family, uh, in our friendship groups, even leading ourselves. I've heard it said, if you breathe, you lead. So we all have something to learn from the life of Solomon. And as he comes uh, to power, as we, we'll, what we'll do today is we'll have a quick, uh, a really run through uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2 to hear kind of how Solomon came into power and, and really zoom in and spend uh, f- focused time on what did David have to say to hand over uh, the kingship to him. Um, but yeah, so Solomon, uh, Solomon is rising to power as the new king and, he, and this is like following on the big prophecy that God had given David from 2 Samuel uh, 7, 12 to 16. It'll be on the screen. When you're, this is God speaking to David, Solomon's dad, the king of Israel. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does, sorry, when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God has promised to David a successor who will be an eternal king, who will be close to God, intimate with God, and will lead Israel forever. And that throne will endure forever. So all eyes are on Solomon. 
this new king of Israel? How will he lead? What kind of leader will he be? What are we meant, as readers, what are we meant to make of his life and leadership? Now, as, as we turn to uh, 1 Kings, if you have a Bible, do open it up. I'm going I'm to speed through and kind of give the Nick Van Ruth version of this narrative. Uh, but do take the time to read it. It's a really fascinating story. Like, and it is exciting. Very Game of Thrones-esque. Like, exciting. There's a lot of drama. There's family stuff going on. There's bit of violence. So, you know, we'll, keep a P- we'll try and keep a PG in this uh, message. But just to give a bit of context as we start in, in chapter 1 of 1 Kings. So, just the situation of David's family. David had six children that are recorded, Amnon, Absalom, and Chiliab. They've all died by this point in the narrative. There's Adonijah, Shemir, and Solomon. They're still around. And uh, David's very old. He's old and frail, uh, so much so that he needs uh, someone to uh, keep him warm, a, a maiden. And there's nothing sexual to that, but it's still very weird um, to our culture. But we won't go into that. But he's very old. And, and this is the time, the moment uh, for, for David to announce the new king, to pass on the leadership mantle. And there's this element of where is he? What's he doing? He's old and frail, indecisive, inactive. And so in that void, Adonijah, uh, one of David's sons, he exalts himself to the throne. He sees a gap. He sees an opportunity. And he feels that entitlement that I deserve this. I'm the one to go and lead Israel. Adonijah exalts himself to the throne, and he breaks from the tradition of God choosing the, the king of Israel. God had anointed Saul to be king. God anointed David to be king, but Adonijah anointed himself. He gathered a whole group of people who would, who would uh, you know, follow him, and he um, started his own uh, coronation ceremony with sacrifices and a big party, but there's a few key people missing. He doesn't bring uh, Nathan, the prophet, God's voice piece. He doesn't invite him along. He doesn't invite Benaniah, who is the, uh, the, the um, leader of the king's guard. He doesn't invite him along. He doesn't invite Solomon, who apparently has been promised the throne. He doesn't invite him along. And also David is not invited either. David's not involved in this at all. But he sees an opportunity and he seeks to take it, to, to take the throne for himself. And if he can get that momentum, if he can get that, that buy-in from other people, he can take the throne, it will be his, and he will be king of Israel. Now, the prophet Nathan is aware of what's going on, and he goes to Bathsheba, who is that Bathsheba that David uh, had adultery with, sexually assaulted, really, and, ha- and, and um, had, had a baby which wasn't Solomon, but... Um, and then sent Uriah to die, um, her husband, that Bathsheba. Uh, Nathan goes to Bathsheba, who's now married to David, and says, do you know what's going on? There's Adonijah, who's taking up the throne, and do you know what the first thing he will do when he becomes king? What's the first thing you do when you become king in the ancient Near East? You kill off the competition. You get rid of the competition. 
So Nathan recognizes that Bathsheba, Solomon's mom, and Solomon are in danger. So they come up with a plan. They come up with a plan. He says to Bathsheba, why don't you go and tell the king that this is happening and then I'll come in after you and confirm it and then together we'll convince David to anoint Solomon as king. And so that's what they do. Bathsheba goes to uh, effectively guilt trip David into action. I find this really funny. From 1 verse 18 onwards, 17, uh, she, she kind of guilt trips David into doing something. The first thing she says, if you're looking down, she's approached David. She says, my Lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant by the Lord your God, that you made an oath to Yahweh, to God, Solomon, your son, will be king after me and he will sit on my throne. So the first guilt trip is you promised me. You promised me Solomon was going to be king. Now, now that promise is not actually recorded anywhere. So whether it's private or whether she's taking advantage of his forgetful state, we're not sure. But that's what's said. The second thing uh, she says, she says, but now Adonijah's become king and you, the, the, my lord and king, know nothing about it. She's saying, you've lost touch. You don't know aware of what's ha- you're not aware of what's happening in your kingdom. Uh, verse 19, he sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fan calves, sheep, and invited all the king's so- sons, uh, um, Abiathar, the priest, and Joab, the commander of the army. But he has not invited Solomon, your servant. She's implying to David, you're losing allies. Abiath- Abiathar, the, the priest, and Joab, who's the commander of the army at the time, who's really a close uh, friend and close um, partner with David, they've gone off to support this other son. David is losing allies. And then um, verse 20, My Lord, the King, the eyes of all Israel are on you. Everyone's looking. Everyone's watching, David. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my Lord, my King, after him? And finally, she says, otherwise, as soon as my Lord, the king, is laid to rest with his ancestors, as soon as David is gone, Bathsheba and my son son Solomon will be treated as criminals. We hunted down and killed. She says to David, we're the ones. We are the ones with everything to lose. What are you going to do about it? So what does David do? How does he respond to the situation? And, And I should also say, Nathan, the prophet, comes in and confirms all this. Says Adonijah, like Adonijah's king now. Are you aware that's happening? Are you, is that what you wanted? Everyone's singing out, "All hail King Adonijah!" Is this is this right? And David calls Bathsheba back uh, into his presence, and he says, "All right, let's do this. We'll do this right. We'll coronate Solomon as king." And so they gather uh, the right people. They get. Nathan, the voice piece of God. They get Benaniah, uh, the king's guard, the leader of the king's guard. They get Zadok, the king's priest. And he also gets the king mule to put Solomon on. And they go uh, and coronate him. And then Solomon sits on the king's throne. It couldn't get more official than that. The king's endorsement of the next uh, king of Israel, who would probably sit as regent until David would pass away. So Solomon, 
is finally coronated as king, as David had promised to Bathsheba. Now, what about Adonijah? They are having this feast celebrating his apparent coronation, and there's all this commotion going on over the hill in the direction of the palace, and someone comes along and says, did you hear? I, I, I don't have good news. Solomon has been uh, crowned king. He is now on the throne. And in that moment, Adonijah realizes that his attempt at taking the throne has spectacularly failed. Because he's just undermined King David, he's undermined King Solomon, and now King Solomon's in power. And what do kings do when they <laughs> stick in power? They get rid of the competition. An old man is Adonijah competition. He fears for his life. So he rushes to the, to the, um, uh, to the altar and, and grabs onto the horns of the altar, a place to, to kind of um, to share, like to, to um, plea for mercy, because he wouldn't kill someone on, you know, at the altar. A plea for mercy. And, and he sends a message to Solomon, you know, show me mercy. Please uh, don't harm me. And Solomon, um, Solomon says to him, effectively, sure, I won't harm you, but you better behave. I won't hurt you, but you better behave. And there's more that happens after this next bit. So that's how Solomon ascends to the throne, is with drama, with family tension. And in all of this, it, it, like, it's all complicated and complex because David's inaction. And also David's uh, lack of investment in his own children. There's a comment in verse 6 that I find fascinating. Uh, talking about Adonijah, it says, His father never rebuked him by saying, Why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. So David never disciplined Adonijah. And for that matter, probably any of his kids. And that led to all this infighting and all this bickering and all this selfishness, all this entitlement. And David may have been a great king, but he failed as a father. And this also comes out in, in what he says to Solomon, in his, his charge to Solomon. As Solomon steps into this kingship and taking on the leadership of Israel, David has some great things to say to him. But it's mixed. It's mixed. It's complex. So let's have a look. And if you have a Bible, uh, this is chapter 2 from verse 1. It'll also be on the screen. David says to Solomon, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Effectively, I'm about to die, he said. So be strong. Act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. And keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Great stuff. Great stuff. He says, be strong, be, be a man, be courageous, observe what the Lord requires. His, his first piece of advice, his first 
charge to Solomon, Solomon is walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Walk in obedience. Keep his decrees. Keep his commands, his laws and regulations written in the law of Moses. We'll come back to that. He says, do this and you will prosper. If you walk closely with the Lord, as David did, David, a man after God's own heart, as you walk with God, God will lead you. He will guide you. He will enable you to lead Israel into prosperity. And Lord will, God will keep his promise to David. If his descendants walk faithfully before me, he will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So what David says to Solomon, what you need to lead is God's word, is his word. Specifically, the law of Moses. What you need to lead is to walk with God. That is all, that is what you need. But he doesn't say that's all you need. He goes on and, oh man, if only David had stopped there. Because effectively he's saying, uh, what do you need to lead? You've got to lead God, God's way, but also do it your way as well. Let's, let's read it from verse uh, 5. Now, you yourself know what Joab, son of uh, Zeruniah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's army, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as, a, as if in battle, and with the blood he stained the belts around his waist and the sandals on his field. In his, on his feet. Deal with them according to your wisdom, Solomon, but do not let his gray head go down in the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillia of Gilead and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember, uh, you, ha you have with you Shemia, son of Gera, uh, the Benjamite from uh, Baruim. Who, came, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahaniah, Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now, do not consider him in innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. So effectively, the second half of this charge to Solomon David gives him some political advice, which is really just getting Solomon to clean up some of his messes. Because Joab had, had killed some people, and, 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 and effectively, uh, David says, can you go take care of Joab for me? He, he's not innocent. You know what to do. Don't let his gray head go down in the grave peacefully. And he also says, here's some, uh, here's some allies for you. And here's this other guy who I promise I will not kill. I, will, I promised him I will not kill him. Can you kill him for me? <laughs> like, and, and, and this mixed advice where he, he starts off saying, lead God's way, walk with the Lord, but also do things as the world do, does things. Do things your way, follow your heart. It's mixed. It's unhelpful. And it's a harmful legacy that David leaves with Solomon. It's mixed. It's mixed. And, and here in the life of, of David and Solomon, we see a, a great example of generational faith creep 
where we start with David, who is a man after God's own heart, close with the Lord. Uh, but he, he failed to pass that on entirely to Solomon. It was mixed. He said, for the Lord, but also do these other worldly things. And then Solomon did, did great things for the Lord. And we'll, we'll go on this journey with him and see, like he built the temple, probably the most significant event in the Old Testament, aside from the Exodus. He built the temple, but then he fell away to women and to idols. And then the next generation, Rehoboam, he leads Israel, but at that point, the nation split, so it's a real mess. But he leads Judah entirely into sin and idolatry. One generation loves the Lord, but fails to pass that on. The next generation is complacent, the next completely defiant. What legacy are we leaving our children? What legacy are we raising them into? What are we teaching them with how we act, with how we interact within our family, how we prioritize church and faith and and devotional time? What we read before bed, what we talk about at the dinner table, how we explore our own faith in front of them or not? What legacy are we leaving our children? What are we passing on? I want to share um, uh, the legacy I've received from my dad, who's here. <laughs> but Dorian, it's good. I'm not going to share the bad stuff. <laughs> of course, every generation, every legacy is mixed. Um, but what stuck with me, and he knows this, I've talked to him before about this, what's really stuck to me, the legacy what I saw his faith express was when I, I worked with my dad for about 12 weeks um, at Cooper's. He worked Cooper's. I went along. Actually, Ivan was there as well um, at the time. <laughs> uh, and I actually got to see dad interact at work and how he treated other people, how he lived out his faith, how he uh, met with other Christians and prayed for his colleagues, how he was kind to people and treated everyone generously, not just, you know, the other corporates or whoever was, you know, he, he was a genuine person to everyone. And I saw him bring his faith into work and express his faith. He wasn't, he wasn't going around um, evangelizing on every corner, but he was sharing the love of Jesus and praying for uh, his colleagues, powerfully bringing Jesus into that space. So I've always, uh, and that is what, um, like seeing that and, and admiring that is what ended me up uh, working with uh, the team at Engage Work Faith like, and being passionate about bringing our faith into the workplace. And so I really, I think dad for instilling that legacy in me. And I bring out some of that in in my preaching and ministry here as well. What legacy are we leading? Are we leading our kids, our children, or those we lead in any situation to walk with the Lord, to obey his commands? Now, if we jump back to the passage and actually take a step back and, and think about 
just this, this comment that David makes uh, as written in the law of Moses. David commands, walk with God, follow his commands as written in the law of Moses. It's always helpful to ask, why do authors include details like that? Why, do, why did David say that? Why, do, why did the writer include this charge? And it's, it's to give us the key to understanding the narrative of Solomon's life and Solomon's leadership. It's actually to give us the key to understand the whole narrative of one and two kings. Because in the law of Moses, what's being referred to is in Deuteronomy, there's actually commands for how kings are to lead. And, and so when we start thinking about how we to assess and make, what do we make of Solomon's leadership, it's, it's against that command in Deuteronomy, against the Deuteronomic covenant. It's not their success or their rule or their victories, but their faithfulness to God. So let's read uh, these instructions from verse um, Deuteronomy chapter, which I'll bring up here, chapter 17 from verse 14. And it's also going to be on the screen. This is the command that, that God gave through Moses to the Israelite people of how kings are to rule. Now, as you hear this, think of what you know of Solomon and think of what you know of the other kings that are to come. When you enter the land your Lord your God has given you, and I've taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us have a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king that the Lord your God chooses. That came up a bit earlier. He must be from, one among, from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who's not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, as the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives. Anyone know something about, fun fact about Solomon? Um, we'll get to that later. <laughs> or his heart must not, will not, sorry, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken uh, from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he's to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord, Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the Lord to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel." So that's the standard that's given to assess the kings of Israel. Will they lead in faithfulness? Will they cling and grasp and embrace the law of God? Will they be led astray to other idols, to other nations? Will they go back to Egypt? Now, as, as we'll, we'll skip ahead in 1 Kings to... Uh, to the first couple of verses of uh, chapter 3. In the end of chapter 2, Solomon establishes his inner circle by killing those who had sided with Adonijah, including Joab uh, and, um, and others. And he installed Zadok, the high priest, and Benaniah in charge of the whole army. So his kingdom is established. So we get to this point where Solomon's kingdom is established. What's the first 
comment made of his established kingdom. From chapter 3, that's not the right... Um, uh, that's not the right bookmark. From chapter 3, verse 1, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building the palace and the temple of the Lord, the wall around Jerusalem. The first comment made of Solomon's established kingdom is he made a marriage alliance with Egypt. In Deuteronomy, he said, don't go back to Egypt. And the first thing that Solomon does as an established kingdom is to go make an alliance with Egypt, making a marriage alliance. Deuteronomy also said, don't take on many wives. And there's this, this hint in the narrative, and it will keep journeying on this over the next few weeks, this, this, this hint that there's some great things going to happen, but there's also something wrong. Solomon is being led astray. He's not holding fast to the law of God. And right from the start, Solomon is, I believe, is set up to fail with the instructions that David gave him, with the inaction of David handing over to Solomon, with the, that mixed advice, do things God's way, but also do things your way. Be faithful to God, but follow your heart. It was that that led Solomon, led to Solomon's downfall and to ultimately the split of the Israelite kingdom. But, and that leaves the reader to, to think, well, if Solomon was meant to be this promised king of Israel who will reign forever, and he's not, who's next? And after that, who's next? Who's next? And it's the deficiency of Solomon, the deficiency of Solomon that propels us forward to the sufficiency of King Jesus. There is a king who comes and walks with the Lord, who doesn't elevate himself but humbles himself, who doesn't go his own way, but obeys God's commands, who does not demand from his people, but gives his life for them, who doesn't consider his subjects his servants, but his friends. The deficiency of Solomon propels us forward to the sufficiency of King Jesus, his rule, his reign, his kingdom, his legacy of faith that he gives each and every one of us. To finish up, I want to I finish with a question. So having heard all this, how are we to lead? In whatever situation, whatever leadership mantle we find ourselves in, how are we to lead? My way or God's way? It's not so much talking about the actions we take, but the path we walk. Is it the narrow or the wide path? And so are you and I walking with the Lord? Are you and I embracing His Word, reading it, studying it, seeing what it has to say? Are you and I dependent to God in prayer? Are you and I obedient to his commands. Not just in the big things, but in the little things. Are you walking with the Lord? Am I walking with the Lord? That will define my leadership. That will define your leadership. 
as a disciple of Jesus, are you walking with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for King Jesus. The King that just got it right. And not just a not just a model for us to follow, but got it right so that we could be with you. We could be saved. All that is deficient in us could be forgiven, could be cleansed, could be made right. And Lord, we pray for the leadership that we have in our families, here at church, in our workplaces, in our friendship groups, even the leadership of ourselves, our own soul. Lord, we pray you would help us and equip us mostly that we would walk with you and draw close to you. That we'd walk in your ways, that we would seek your word, that we'd be obedient to your commands. And Lord, let us not listen to the wisdom of this world, but let us listen listen to the truth of your word. And Lord, we pray especially for the legacy we are leaving for our children. I pray this for myself and Emily and my family. Pray this for everyone here. And it's not just other children in your own family, but but children that you're friends with and, and, and your uncles and aunts. And Lord, the legacy that we get to lead, the faith we get to model, Lord, may it point to you and lead others to walk in your ways and bring you glory. Lord, we're desperate for your help. There's no way we could do this. We pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us, uh, to show us the right way and to lead us and to draw us to yourself. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, You can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.